Hey, everybody. Welcome. My name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors here. Big shout out to all of you here at Lenexa, people at the Speedway, everyone who's watching online. We have been in quite a journey as a church here together. We have been praying and fasting as a larger Westside community. Not, you know, we already have a mission and a vision as a church, but what is the hill that God wants us to take in this next season of Westside's journey. And about a 1,000 of you have signed up to get our Thrive text to engage in fasting and prayer. I bet there's a whole lot more of you than we even know about. So thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you so much for your dedication. Thank you for joining us as we seek God as a community for what he wants to do in and through and beyond us. And Randy has been walking us in this, this last series here through these kind of stages of people's spiritual growth. And they're kind of, via some surveys that have been done nationally, some identifiable general categories, right? They kind of look like this. There's this exploring Jesus uh, phase in your life with God where maybe you're just checking out the claims of Christ. You're trying to figure out whether you buy into this thing or not. You have some questions about the Bible. You have some questions about the veracity and historicity of Christianity. All those kinds of things are important. But at some point in time, you say, you know what? I'm placing my faith in the good work of Jesus and not my own work. And you step into this growing in Jesus phase of your life with God. And it's this beautiful, uh, everything is opening up for you. Everything is new. You're on the fast track to understanding scripture. And you're in biblical community. And you're learning about worship. And, and about 48% of Westsiders have identified that this is where they're at. And it's a wonderful phase. And as Randy has been talking about these catalysts like biblical engagement, like biblical community, prayer, all these things that help you move from one place to the next. And some of you then, you become more independent in your walk with God. You're not quite as dependent on the programs and things at the church. Now you're starting to take ownership for yourself and you enter this close to Jesus part of your life with God. And it's another wonderful thing where you start to reframe all of the activity that you do in the name of Jesus. And then we are gonna be talking about this final move into the Jesus centered phase of your walk with God. And that's what today is all about. So what we try to do here at Westside is provide a clear pathway for you with something called the essentials, things that will ground you in your faith, things that will help you discover your unique shape and your giftedness, and to get you engaged in biblical community because this is not a solo project. We all need people in our lives to help us grow and to help us learn and get closer to Jesus. And as you've been signing up by the hundreds for these essential experiences, we have still another opportunity. You can go out in the commons here at, at Lenexa and at the Speedway, and you can sign up for one of those essential experiences that is coming up for you. And here's a hot tip, right, for all of you who don't want to go to a classroom kind of a thing. Coming up on April 24th, all the essentials are going to be available online for you to do with your A2 group in your living room. So be looking forward to that because that's going to be really exciting. Randy, once again, has introduced us to some of these catalysts to help us grow from one phase of our relationship with God to another. And as we get into this final phase, we start to see that there's a, some larger categories of spiritual growth. So Jesus was asked by religious leaders to say, what's the greatest commandment, right? They, they were kind of trying to stump him and see if he had the right answer. And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And they're thinking, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Good, good, good job. Good job, Jesus. And then he adds to it. And he says, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's like, oh, that's a hard one. You see, because you can love God in the abstract, but you're loving your neighbor is something that's concrete. And as we move forward in our relationship with God, it's those categories that are the overarching thing that's going to grow. And we, come, we reframe all this activity in a relational way. 
we start to see that it's less about activity and more about intimacy that moves us into this other phase of our relationship with God. See, the Jesus-centered definition is this. My relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship in my life, and it guides everything that I do. Now, about 22% of you have identified as feeling as if you're in this phase of life. And just so that we're not mistaking anything, this isn't an arrival. This is a, now I have arrived, right? What this is, I have discovered. It, what it does is it takes this kind of narrow lens of the way you see your spirituality, and all of a sudden, you realize that there is so much more than you ever could have thought of, that you ever could have imagined, that there is a breadth and a depth and a beauty and a power and a meaning that you didn't even know was there as you step into this part of your uh, relationship with God. It's a movement from, I'm so glad Jesus is in my life, to Jesus is my life. It's a move from, you know, uh, Jesus is a passenger in the car, to Jesus is driving the car, right? And some of you business types, you're gonna really enjoy this, so, so just, just bear with me. Um, I have no fine motor skills, so this is not gonna look good, okay? Um, but, but look at like, like a pie chart at your business. So you've got your, your business here, right? And, you, and you've got these different departments and different, you've got sales and you've got tech and you've got all these different things that have to work in concert with one another for your business to be successful. And now maybe you're going along and your business is getting a little rough, right? Things aren't as productive. They're not as efficient as you would like them to be. So what do you do? You go out and you hire yourself a high-level consultant, someone who can see it from the outside, someone who's going to offer some advice. And so they get into your books and they get into your organization and they get into your personnel and they start asking questions and they start evaluating. And what do they do? They come back with a recommendation for you. And you go, huh, well, I paid a lot of money for this person, right? Let's go ahead and take their advice. And so you take their advice. And what happens? Lo and behold, it gets better. You might have to consolidate some things. You might have to let some people go. You might have to realign some things. But your organization, it gets more efficient, right? It gets more productive. Maybe it's more profitable. Now, here's what happens with a lot of us. This is how we see our relationship with Jesus. We kind of see him as a high-level consultant. You know, you have all these different categories in our lives. This is like, it's a wheel, and it's going in a particular direction, but as one of these categories, it gets weak. It could be your marriage. It could be your parenting. It could be your, your finances, right? It could be um, some other relationships, your work life. It could be your kids. You know, there's all these things, and as they get weak, that wheel starts getting bumpy as you move along in life, and you start to get a little sense of urgency, like things aren't working the way that they're supposed to work, it's getting kind of hard. And so what do you do? Out of desperation, I go, hey, Jesus, <laughs> I need you to look into this. I need your high-level consultation to look into my parenting skills, right? Things are getting hard over here. I need you to look into, uh, you know, what's going on at my workplace because there's all this weird tension and all this conflict. And so you seek him and you pray and you look towards him. And you know what happens? You take his advice, maybe. And things start to get better. And the wheel rolls along, and it's a lot less bumpy. And you start going, all right, Jesus. Because here's the thing. That's a great thing to do. Following Jesus is going to make your life better, and it's going to make you better at life. But see, we don't want to stop there. Because Jesus has more for you than you have known. There is an abundance to life that he would like you to experience than you have never known. Jesus himself says this in John 10. I have come that they, you and I, may have life and have it to the full. See, Jesus wants to bring you all the love and the hope and the joy and the contentment and the purpose 
that your soul longs for. But what we discover is this movement to the Jesus-centered life, it's really a move of attitude more than anything else. Because all these other activities we talked about, they continue. They're still important. Biblical engagement, community, service, worship, prayer, all those things. But they take on a different framework. See, it's less about activity and more about intimacy. It's more about the cultivating of your relationship. It's more about not coming to a church for goods and services, but seeing the church as a body that is alive, empowered by the spirit of the living God. And so this shift in our perspective and our attitude, there are three primary shifts that we find out after surveying um, half a million people across the country. This is what we've discovered. There are three things. One, giving away my life. It says this, I am willing to risk everything that is important in my life for Jesus. The second shift is Jesus is first. I desire Jesus to be first in my life. And primarily, the last one is this, identity in Jesus. I exist to know, love, and serve God. And so as we we make this profound shift in our heart attitude that reframes all of the activity, we can summarize it like this. It says this, I finally realize that everything I have Everything I can do and everything I am is a gift of grace. Everything I have, everything I can do, my capacity, my capabilities, everything I am, my very identity is a gift of grace. See, it's a movement of the kingdom of me to the kingdom of thee. You didn't expect Westside to go King James on you, okay? The kingdom of thee. And so here's the thing. Randy asked me to do this, I don't know, two or three months ago. He said, hey, Troy, you want to speak on the 30th? I'm like, yeah. And then I saw what the subject was, and I'm like, oh. Because <laughs> here's, here's the deal. And full disclosure, you guys, this is a tough one for me. Um, I, I don't know if I live this out. I mean, I think I have moments but truth is, you know, a lot of the time, it's a lot more about me than I would like to admit. And I'm a lot less surrendered to God's purposes than I would like to think I am. And so, you know, when I found out that this was what I was going to be talking about, I was like, I don't know if I have the integrity to say this in front of you. And God has been wrecking me for a couple of months now. And I've just been praying and reading and just saying, God, what is it? What am I holding back? What's in my heart? Why do I keep grabbing on to the kingdom of me? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But here's the thing. It wasn't always like that. I didn't always used to be that guy. You're probably wondering why I have this 10-speed out here. This is an old-school 10-speed bike, right? It's got a kickstand and everything, okay? I don't know what the deal is with bikes now. They, like, the thing is to have these single-speed bikes, you know, like that's the cool thing to do. Why would you do that? Why would you suffer like that? Because back in my day, we had all 10 speeds, okay? So, so this was what I had when I was growing up. And um, just to give you a little bit of an idea, when I was growing up, we really didn't have a lot. We... 
we had, I was always very aware of our financial limitations as a kid. And, uh, you know, I had a stepdad for a period of my growing up, but, you know, that, that didn't work out. And we went through periods where we were on different kinds of public assistance. We had, like, welfare and AFDC or Section 8 or food stamps, things like that. And I was just so grateful how God had provided for my mom and I. My mom is a hero. She is a phenomenal human being. But... Um, but she never, like, she never finished high school. You know, she worked as a waitress. And, and so it was just, it was kind of tight, but this was all I knew. But there was just something I became very conscious of was that this, this idea that we can't afford it. We can't afford it. I heard those words a lot. I remember I wanted to play baseball. We can't afford the uniform. So I was like, oh, okay, so I'm not going to play baseball. My mom, we'd never, she never learned to drive. So we didn't have a car, right? And so where we lived, I either walked or I rode my trusty 10-speed like everywhere, okay? And I put a lot of miles on the old 10-speed. And here's the thing. Now, when I got up into high school, you can imagine how that might stunt your social situation <laughs> just a little bit, you know? It's like, hey, ladies. <laughs> you want to go to homecoming? <laughs> Climb on board. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't go out a lot. Um, <laughs> But I had this internal goal of just this, like, I just don't want to live like this for the rest of my life. So I had this internal thing. I was, I'm going to make six figures by the time I'm 26 years old, and I had a plan. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to study aerospace engineering. I'm going to go to Stanford, or I'm going to go to Davis out in California. I'm going to study aerospace engineering. I'm going to get a great internship at some company, become a rock star there, and then finally, in my mid-20s, I'm going to realize this six-figure goal, right? So these are the dreams of 10-speed Troy. And this is, the, I was really, you know, it's like I was an ambitious guy, and this is where I wanted to go, and I was headed in that direction, fully planning to do that. Now, when I was a really little kid, I had made a profession of faith, and I, it was a sincere one. It was a real one. I put my faith in the work of Jesus for my salvation. I was baptized and everything, and I kind of grew up in a home that was sort of on and off, kind of more Christian than not at sometimes than, than others, and, but... It was all good, but when I kind of, I got a little bit older, I got into high school, somehow I wound up at this tiny little Christian school, like tiny little Christian school, and God allowed me to be a janitor at that school to pay my tuition, so it was a really great arrangement. It worked out really well, and when I was at that tiny little Christian school, we went and visited a tiny little Bible college on a retreat, and I got to this tiny little Bible college, and God was really pushing me. He was really pushing me. He was grabbing at me, and I didn't know why. Because me and my friends, we used to joke around when these evangelists and people would come to our, our little, little Baptist uh, church in San Diego. We would joke around that it's like, if you ever really gave your life to Jesus, you know, you just, we just knew that he was going to call me to be a missionary to the pygmies in South America. <laughs> and I mean, at this point in my life, that sounds pretty great, but then it was like that was the most inconvenient, exotic thing that we could come up with. It was like, oh, no, I'm going to be a missionary in the, in the jungle. You know? So that was like the resistance to like say, all right, I believe Jesus for my salvation, but do I believe him for today? Do I believe him for a plan? And so I'm at this little Bible college, and, and God is tugging at my heart. And just long story short, I caved. I said, okay. I want your plan, not my plan. I want your will, not my will. I want your direction, not my direction. I'm like, oh, I know I'm going to wind up in the jungle somewhere. <laughs> but the thing is, is that was the beginning of an adventure 
I could never imagine. And the thing is, in that moment, he revealed to me, he said, Troy, I want you to go to this school, this little Bible college, and I want you to study music. And I saw my dream of six figures by 26 fade away. (laughs) This is not an upwardly mobile path, you know? But the thing is, it was just this wonderful opening up of the aperture of what life could possibly be. Jesus says it like this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. See, I had surrendered my kingdom, but instead of going to the jungle, he led me to this school. And I went there and I studied music. And then as a result of that, I got involved in this, uh, this ministry vocal singing group. And the first time I ever got on an airplane, I went to Hong Kong, right? It was Back when they still had smoking sections on airplanes, it was really awful. But, but Hong Kong was amazing and exotic and it was exciting and went to Korea and did all these amazing things. I eventually got a degree in music and um, in my 20s, I got to travel all over the world as a singer. I went to South America and I went to Europe and I went you know, to Asia and did, I got to do all these things I just never could have planned on. And one of the coolest things was is, is I never once paid for a plane ticket, right? It's pretty good for 10-speed Troy. You know, travel was not something I had spent a lot of money on. And God was opening up all these opportunities. Instead of making six figures by 26, I bought my first car when I was 26. And I was so grateful. And I had sung in studios and in stadiums, and I traveled and just... God had been so good. And then the light bulb for this worship church pastor ministry thing opened up. And I got this job at this amazing church. And what happens when you, any, anybody like 20-somethings, what's the most exciting thing that happens when you get that first full-time job? What do you get? Health insurance. Yes. I got health insurance. It's like, I can finally get sick. You know? <laughs> I got this thing, I I mean, it was so fantastic. So I got health insurance, and then at that church, I met this amazing woman, and she was funny and beautiful and smart and so hot, and she was really this wonderful person, and she was interested in me, and guess what? She married this guy. Right? This guy with no prospects for upward mobility whatsoever. And here's what we knew when we got married. We knew that we would, she would always make more money than me. And we would always live in an apartment in Southern California. And that was fine. And we were content with that possibility because God had been so good. She had long ago surrendered her kingdom to God's kingdom. And so we were on this wonderful God-provided adventure as we moved along. Now, I get to my 30s at this point. And somehow... By an act of God, I, I still don't know how this happened. I get hired at one of the largest, most influential churches in the world. I got hired at Saddleback Church where Rick Warren is the pastor. I could not plan that. I, was, I didn't have any ambition for anything like that. I didn't even know enough about it to be intimidated because remember, it's 10-speed Troy, right? I'm just happy to have health insurance. And I get hired to this phenomenal church and suddenly people know my name. Like, I, I start teaching at conferences, workshops, and I'm leading worship for these things. And, and God allowed me to do my first worship CD at that church. And it was amazing. And the first weekend we released it, I recouped the entire cost of production for it. It just doesn't happen. And then God, suddenly I start hearing that my songs are getting played in places around the country and even around the world. It's getting, they're getting played like in 
uh, Portugal and Japan and Ireland, right? And now, just, it's no song you would recognize, okay? But still, it's pretty good for 10-speed Troy. I'm pretty excited. I have health insurance and people actually like my music. It was a really wonderful thing. God had opened up this wonderful opportunity as I had surrendered to his purposes. Here's the thing. I started thinking I was a pretty big deal. I started thinking that maybe I had done all this and I deserved it, you know? I started clinging to what God had graced me with. And uh, I started feeling kind of entitled, like the world kind of owed me something, you know? Because I wanted to be known. I wanted my name out there. I wanted to be recognized. I wanted to be the trusted subject matter expert, you know? And I needed to kind of, I needed to build my brand because, you know, I have a wife and I have some kids and I got ministry responsibilities, you know, and I, and I, need, to, I need to get my music out there and I, get, I need to do all these things. And what happened was, is that I got, I'd gone from building the kingdom of God to the kingdom of me. And here's the really hard part to admit. I was calling it the kingdom of God while serving myself. Scripture talks about, all throughout the book of Romans, it talks about this idea of the flesh or the old man. I think you can kind of insert, you know, ego into those, those verses as you see them because it's one of these things, it's like, it's this thing that wants to take credit for what God has done. It's the thing that wants to take credit for all the stuff that you have, all you can do, and everything that you are. You know, and it's subtle, and it's nuanced, and it sneaks in under the surface, and it starts making you feel like you're kind of a big deal. And the thing is, is that thing has got to die. In order for the abundance of life that Jesus has for you and I, that ego, that flesh, that desire to take control, that desire to be recognized has to die in order for the better life to spring up. It's like a seed that goes in the ground. So this verse has started becoming really important to me. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That old man, that flesh, that pride, that ego, that thing has got to die. It's got to be crucified to that thing that it clings to all the false stuff of life. And here's what it is. It's a return to the heart of that kid who had nothing but was willing to do anything for Jesus. And everyone's journey is different, you know. Surrendering your kingdom to God's kingdom doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a change in vocation. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to change in your relationships or the trajectory. But it's a heart shift within you. Because finally, you realize that everything you have, everything you can do, and everything you are is a gift of grace from a good, good Heavenly Father, who wants to see you flourish and wants to see you thrive and knows you better than you know yourself, whose surprises are far better than your plans or my plans. So one of our own Westsiders here represents this heart, this Christ-centered, Jesus-centered heart, as well as anybody I've ever met. And we'd really like to share just a little bit of her story with you. This is Michelle.
as a young child. My parents divorced at the age of five, so I grew up in a single-parent home. Um, we were not believers at that point. At probably the age of seven, my mother came to Jesus. Once she did, it was, we're following after him, and that's it. I mean, her eyes were focused on the prize. And I just remember always seeing my mom at that kitchen table, and she'd be studying God's word, and she'd be praying, and just trusting in God's faithfulness. As a teenager, I was having one of those times where I wasn't trusting the Lord, and I just remember my mom looking at me and saying, Michelle Lisa, you're either gonna trust the Lord or you're not. There's, you're, you can't just be in the middle. You're either not going to or you're going to. And I just remember to that point that I needed to trust the Lord and that he had a plan and that it was all gonna work out as he planned and there was gonna be a story to it. And, and he got me through as he always does. So I met Michelle Kernicke um, 31 years ago. Uh, we were working for the same company and they told us in a manager's meeting that we were going out of business. I was gonna be the manager in charge of closing out these five stores at one location. When we left the meeting, most of us were very, very upset, and Michelle wasn't. And there was something that she had that I didn't have, and I wanted to know what that was. And God just gave me the opportunity to start sharing the gospel. She was just asking all kinds of questions and just the opportunity to share Jesus. And through me losing my job, Daphne came to know the Lord. And little did I know that she was going to become like my sister in Christ, my absolute best friend. Mary had Elizabeth and Naomi had Ruth and God gave me Daphne. 2011, I was on a retreat that uh, I wasn't even really supposed to go to, but God worked it out. And at that ministry, I met a young lady who happened to be a foreign exchange student from Germany. And she came to Christ that weekend. And when I got to share the gospel with her, God just, just intertwined our hearts, kind of like Jonathan and David. It was like nothing I've ever experienced before. I remember the first time she called me spiritual mom, it just made my heart just feel just so warm. So just to know that love. and. From that moment on, we did studies for many years via Skype as she went home. She grew like crazy. To my knowledge, she led about three or four young ladies to the Lord in that time period. Hey everyone, my name's Jackie and I'm from Germany, as most of you may know. Um, I was an exchange student in Kansas four years ago uh, for my sophomore year of high school. And uh, I actually came to Christ in the spring of 2011 at the retreat vertical that Westside has that a friend invited me to. And I just want to share with you how I've been living the Christian life ever since. After I had met Jackie in 2011, she came here Christmas 2015 and it was great. We always wanted to spend a holiday together. It was great. Um, after she went home and early uh, 2016, I noticed some, some changes. A, d a depression was setting in. Um, as the year progressed, in that October of 2016, God allowed me to go to Germany to visit her. What I found out through that visit was God was allowing me just to see really how bad it was. Rolling into the, the new year of January and just, you know, hoping for new things like we all do. We all make our resolutions and just hope for what's on the schedule for us for that year that God has. On January, 16th of 2017, excuse me. Mm. I woke up to a message 
from one of her roommates that she was gone. And I was like, gone? What does that mean? What does gone mean? I immediately text back, what do you mean? What do you mean? And so Ruth, her roommate, called me and said that they had found her and that she had taken her life. Absolutely the most devastating thing that has ever happened to me. Devastating. One night I was laying in bed and I was like, God, how will I ever, ever get through this? And not in an audible voice, but it's like he just said to me, no, you can't, but we can. And it was just God reminding me, I've got you and I will carry you. That was the hardest thing I'd ever seen my best friend go through. Um, but her steadfastness was just incredible. Um, as a best friend, there's times you just don't know what to say, and that was hard. Um, but to watch Michelle go through that and watch the strength that God gave her and her lean into God was incredible. You know, I go the next uh, four years just on a continual healing journey because healing is not a sprint, it's a journey. Several years later, um, in this last year, uh, we both, at the same time in the same room, heard her diagnosis, uh, stage three cancer. For me, in a moment, it was a, it was a moment of anger and then transparency to know that I could be mad at God. Uh, we're getting in the car, we're riding back, both kind of shocked. She's very angry, which I understand. We pull over, and it just took me like a few minutes just to kind of sit in it. Okay, God, let people see Jesus. Just let people see Jesus. I am almost six months in remission, and God has been, again, so faithful. And I know that God is gonna use this for His good. I had a friend ask me once, but how? And I said, I don't know how, but God does. And because I want to lean into that, I know that he'll honor that prayer. And my prayer is that somebody comes to Jesus through this. Joy is not the absence of sorrow. It's the presence of Jesus. Our happiness can fluctuate, but we can have joy in knowing that, that God has a plan and Jesus walks with us every single day. So you can see how Michelle exemplifies that Jesus-centered heart that says, my relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship in my life. It guides everything that I do. And if anybody shows us peace that passes understanding or joy that transcends your circumstances, it's Michelle. But here's the thing. It wasn't the crisis that made her that person. See, she had a long trajectory in her life of saying yes to Jesus, of trusting him, of releasing her plans, her identity, her relationships, all those things for a very long time. So that when the crisis came, when these massive challenges came to her, what it did was it drove her deeper into her relationship with God, not further apart. It made her better as she surrendered to him. See, here's what I know. Everybody, all of us, hit the wall. 
we're all gonna have massive challenges. It's coming to all of us, and you know that, I know that. And it's so much better to say yes to Jesus before you get there <laughs> than after it happens. Because what we know is the crisis doesn't make you that person. Just as many people go the other way as people who dive deeper into their relationship with God. And the revealed statistics tell us this, that the crisis isn't required for you to, for, to surrender your kingdom to God. And, but, but when you do, when you have that trajectory of yes, Lord, yes, 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 yes. When you hit the crisis, you know that truth, that joy, it's not the absence of sorrow. It's the presence of Jesus. So this is what life tells you and I. The kingdom of me, the kingdom of Troy, the kingdom of Dan, Sally, Joe, Barry, it's bankrupt. It's in foreclosure and it has no assets. The kingdom of me is a dead end, literally. The apostle Paul, he, he summarizes it and he says this in the book of Philippians. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. See, that is a move from the kingdom of me to the kingdom of thee. It's kind of like this, you know, you're at home and you're playing around in the bathtub and you think that's pretty great, and it is. And then you see the ocean for the first time. And it's like, oh, there is so much more beauty and power than you had ever known. The mystery of the depths and the riches and the wisdom of God is beyond anything you had ever imagined splashing around in the bathtub. Jesus says this, whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So here's the thing. This is what I need to do. If I want the abundant life in Christ, I have to surrender the insufficient life. It's a move from Jesus, I'm so glad you're in my life to Jesus, you are my life. It's a move from Jesus as your high level consultant to Jesus as CEO and the thing is, is there's no downside. There's no loss to giving in to him. There's no, you're not gonna regret it. So what we're gonna do here today is we're gonna pray. And I have been praying for, for a couple of months now that God moves in our hearts, that he reveals in us those things that we've been holding back, those, those little compartments of our life that you say to God, you know, I got this. My finances, I got it. My career, God, you know, I got it. I'd like you to bless my family and, you know, my friends and my hobbies, but this, you know, this career thing is, yeah, I got this under control. It could be anything. And I'm just saying, let God reveal to you that thing that's standing between you and the more of life he has for you. So we're gonna pray. I'm gonna ask you to please close your eyes and bow your heads. And I am praying this with you as much as anybody. I need this as much as anybody. So God, we come to you right now and we just say, I surrender, I give. I don't wanna be the boss anymore. I need a better boss. I don't wanna be the king anymore. I need a better king. 
I want your plans, your purposes, your life to be lived through me. I want to know your heart. So I'm, I'm giving in. And I'm saying yes to your purposes and your plans. And I don't even know what that looks like right now. But I'm trusting you with the consequences. Because I know you are good and you are for me. So I'm stepping into that new life, that new season of surrender to you today. So everyone with your, your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if you're taking a step towards Jesus today, would you raise your hand? All around the room, raising your hand. I'm saying yes to you right now, God. I'm saying yes to the next step. I'm giving up my kingdom for your kingdom. All around the room, people raising hands. People placing their trust in him. You can put your hands down. They're saying yes to God's next thing. So we're gonna sing together a song of surrender as to what God is doing in our hearts. Would you please stand?